Welcome to the Worship Place podcast. We are thankful we can worship with you and pray this message blesses your day. We look forward to seeing you in person next service. Paul said, sometimes I preach for edification, sometimes for doctrine, sometimes by way of revelation. Today I want to preach by way of revelation. I want to read from the book of John, chapter number 11, verse 38 through 44. Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. Jesus lifted up his voice and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. And now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he, and he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Please bear with me one more short passage from Exodus 33, verses 14 through 18. The Lord replied, speaking to Moses, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said unto him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? I do my And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do the very thing that you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. Jesus told Martha, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? Moses said, now, show us, show me your glory. I want to preach about seeing the glory of God. Let's lift our hands and let's ask the presence of God to move in this house right now. In the mighty name of Jesus, 
We thank you for the power of your spirit that's here to do a great work in this house. Show us your glory in this service this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. And everybody said amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to preach for just a few minutes on how God has ordained for us to walk in his presence and to stand in his glory. I'm going to say at the outset, God's glory and his presence are not interchangeable. If you have thought up until this moment that God's glory and God's presence are, can be substituted for each other, I hope to uh, see you released from that, um, well, unscriptural assessment of the difference between God's glory and God's presence. When Moses asked for God to show him his glory, he had just emerged from the tent of meeting. The tent of meeting was the place where God spoke to Moses and Moses spoke to God as a man does with his friend. That he was in his presence. He experienced his presence and he said, Lord, we want your presence to go with us into this new land that you promise. Because if you don't go with us, then we don't stand a chance. God finally agreed. He said, okay, I will go with you. But that wasn't enough. Thank God Moses was the kind of guy that always wanted more of God. Some of you might feel like you've had enough, church, already. I'll pray for you that a rekindled appetite will grip you and that from this day forward, perhaps we'll never be the same, always wanting more. Moses, please capture this. Moses wanted to go beyond an experience of God's presence. Now that you've promised to go with us, show me your glory. Hallelujah. Moses was the kind of guy that couldn't get enough of God. (laughs) I've had a lot of God in my life, but I still haven't had enough of God. Somebody told, some of my friends told me when as a 17-year-old hippie boy, I found Jesus, uh, they said, oh, he's going through a phase. Just give him six months and he'll be right back here listening to Black Sabbath, smoking dope, carrying on. Well, that was 45 years ago, and I have had a lot of moments with Jesus, but I'm still hungry for more. Is anybody hungry for more of God? If you, if, if you came looking for religion, amen, you're going to be disappointed. But if you've come hungry for more, there's, God, there's enough God in this house to give everybody an encounter like they've never had before. And then there's plenty left over for the rest of the world. Praise God. I don't believe we've begun to tap the power and the depth of God's presence and his glory. So then the Lord said, okay, I'll let my goodness pass in front of you, but I'm going to have to cover your face. 
and, and I'll let you see uh, my, my, my backside. In other words, I'll let you see me after I pass by because this glory is too intense for you, Moses, and uh, you can only handle so much of it in one visit. But I want to say this. Too many of us stop at being satisfied with the presence of God, and we won't proceed to encountering the glory of God. I want the glory of God to fall on this congregation today. I want the glory of God to reach our city today. I want God's glory to be manifest in such a powerful way, every jaw would drop, amen, and every person would stand breathless, and every eye wide open, and every hand in the air, and every demon scrambling for cover because God has shown up in the house. Let me say a couple of things that's very important for you to get to understand the balance of what I have to say. God's presence is self-validating. God's glory is redemptive. God's presence is subjective. God's glory is objective. God's presence is enabling. God's glory is debilitating. Let's go back through it. God's presence is self-validating. Most people think their encounter with God is over because you got a goosebump. Seldom do we seek to go any further. Let me say this. Church isn't over when we get a blessing. Church isn't over till somebody's life has been changed by the power of the gospel of Jesus and someone is filled with the Holy Ghost or healed of a sickness or delivered from some kind of a spirit. Come on, somebody. It's not just about me feeling a little bit of God. It's about what is God going to do. I, I believe that God is in this place to do something redemptive today. God's presence is subjective. That means you feel it. God's glory is objective. That means it is greater than anything you can contain. It transcends us. God's presence is enabling. God's glory is debilitating. Merriam-Webster said under the definition of debilitating, causing serious impairment of strength or ability to function. Let me say this. I'll go back to that. God's glory cannot be separated from God's goodness or God's mercy. Moses acknowledges God's presence, and when God's glory comes before him, the Lord himself shouts, mercy. God's glory is, it became a visible aura on the face of Moses that others could behold and actually scared them a little bit. Sometimes I wonder if we've really had church till somebody's not just a little bit, you know, on edge. Watch this. Let's look at the tabernacle. In the holy place is his presence. The holy of holies is where his glory was manifest. Everyone understand that? In the holy place was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, and the altar of incense. In his presence, the priests 
functioned and distributed the blood from the sacrifice throughout the holy place, and they functioned and performed their role as priests. Let me put it this way. In his presence, the priests are the active agents. In the glory or behind the veil, in the holy of holies, God was the active agent. In the holy place, the priests were there to get the job done. In the holy of holies, the high priest, main function was, can I survive this? Because the glory of God was so profound, so powerful, so outside his comfort zone that they would tie rope to the ankle of the high priest lest something go wrong behind the veil that they could pull him out uh, because uh, you never know when you're dealing. We, in the old church, we had a power box that had electrical wires everywhere. And sometimes a breaker would go out and the light didn't work and the air conditioning leaked and there was water on the floor. And I remember going in there like the high priest would go behind the veil looking for a breaker. And I thought, oh God, we're going to have church tonight even if it kills me. And I'd reach in there and I'd touch that breaker box and I'd say, my God, I'm still alive. Hallelujah, we're going to have some church around here. So in the holy place, the priest was the worker. In the holy of holies, the priest was the witness. Let's go, let's, let's, let me take you to the uh, book of uh, Zechariah. Chapter number three, it says this, and I'm gonna show you what it's like to be undressed by an angel. Zechariah chapter number three, verses one through four. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. Did you know that on the Ark of the Covenant were angels whose wings touched, where the glory of the Lord would manifest itself in the Holy of Holies? There is Joshua, the high priest, and he says he's in filthy garments. And the Lord said to those that were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vessels. you got to see this. Now, the high priest has entered into the Holy of Holies, and Satan came alongside and began to accuse him of the way he was dressed. They had just come back from captivity. He was the first of his lineage to practice being a high priest. They had been away from it for 70 years, and now he's in the presence of God, and the devil's right there to try to destroy it for him. And I'm going to say this. You know what? The devil will do everything he can from, to keep you from having an encounter with the Holy Ghost today. Don't let him do it. Watch this. 
in the presence of the glory of God, the high priest can do nothing. He can't even change his clothes. He just stands there. And the Lord says, angels, put a new suit of clothes on him so we can shut the devil's mouth. I'm going to preach to somebody, and I'm preaching to him now. You've done everything you know to do about the problems you face, and there's nothing left for you to do. You, my friend, are a candidate to encounter the glory. In his presence, you shout, you pray, you witness, you work, you study, you do. But when you've done all that you can do, amen, and you're just standing in rapt attention before the glory of God, then God becomes the actor in your life, and he begins to do the things that you could never do. Does anybody want God's glory to show up in this place today. Hallelujah. And so, notice the prophet's next vision is in Zechariah chapter number four. It's the vision of the olive trees. I won't read it, but the olive trees have pipes running to them. And the pipes are taking oil from the olive trees and they're putting it into the lamp so that the lamp has a continuous flow of oil. That's the second next vision that, uh, that Zechariah has. And he asked Zechariah, do you, know, uh, do you not know what these are? And he said, no, my Lord. And he said, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor yet by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain? The hand of Zerubbabel has laid the foundation of this temple, and his hands shall also finish it. That's a type of the presence of God. See, in the presence of God, whatever we put our hand to do, God gives us success to do it in the name of the Lord. But in the glory of God, we stand and we, uh, we, we, we just were breathless in his presence as God does the things we could never do. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We talk a lot about feeling the presence of God. But what we ought to do when we feel the presence of God is do something for God. Amen. Do something with God. Do something in the name of the Lord. So another Zechariah, John's father. Remember? Elizabeth gets pregnant. They're old. I mean, they're real old. I don't, I'm not so sure anyone is going to pass the Zechariah test. When he's in the presence of God... And the glory of the Lord stands around him and says, you're going to have a baby. And Zechariah walks out of that glory encounter mute. God smote him with muteness. You want to know why? Because he said, I can't. When you're in the presence of the glory of God, it's not about what you can do. It's what he can do. Oh, my God. Hallelujah. Uh, show us your glory. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This isn't about what I can do or about what you can do. This is about what God can do. So here you are, totally powerless to overturn your situation. Here you are, having tried over. I'm going to make the strangest altar call. I'm going to try. I'm calling people to this altar in a minute, people who can't. People who have done all that you can do, tried as hard as you can try, given everything that you can give, and you can't do any more. People like Lazarus' sister who races out to where Jesus was and said, Lord, if you would have been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. We did everything we could to keep him from dying. We mopped his brow with cool water. We gave him food to eat. We fanned him to keep him cool. We did everything possible. We prayed. We anointed. But he died, Jesus. And if you'd have just been here just a few days ago, maybe you could have resurrected him when he was a fresh corpse. But now it's been four days. Rigor mortis has set in. Decomposition is already at work. It smells in there, Lord. There's nothing, 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 nothing. I can't do it. I tried. I failed. It didn't work. I can't do it. He's dead. He's too dead. He's long dead. And Jesus said, Martha, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you'd see the glory of God? This is what the glory of God looks like when a dead man is raised again to life. Oh, hallelujah. I want us to stand to our feet and I want us to lift our hands. Whatever has died in your life, whatever has gone beyond the hope of your ability to help it, there's a God who wants to reveal his glory in this place today. Musicians are going to come. I read to you a brief summary of a miracle from the 1959 edition of Miracle Magazine. Written by Evangelist R.W. Schambach. A woman brought her child who had 26 major diseases to our meeting. I'll never forget this as long as I live. He said it was the greatest miracle he'd ever seen. The boy was born blind, deaf, and mute. Both arms were crippled and deformed. His elbows protruded into his little tummy. His knees touched his elbows. Both legs were crippled and deformed. He had club feet. When he was born, the doctor said that that boy would not live to see his first birthday. But here he was at a revival meeting somewhere in Alabama. And, and they were wrong because he was four years old. So this woman and her son had been attending the revival meetings all week long. She was down to her last $20. Just enough gas money and food money to get back to Tennessee where she had come from. And that night, the evangelist got up and said, I'm taking up an offering and I want somebody to give what you cannot afford. She jumped out of her seat ahead of 3,000 people in the audience and she raced up and took the last $20 that she had and plunged it into the plate. When she did so, God opened the, the eyes of the evangelist and he began to prophesy. He said, I saw a little boy 
The doctor said he had 26, uh, 26 ailments and that he would never live beyond his first birthday. He said, but I want that mama to bring that boy up here. And that was the woman. And here come that little boy. And R.W. Schombach was watching this. He said, I watched. I watched the, the, the white look like spirals in his eye. When God began to move, both of those milky eyes suddenly turned into beautiful brown pupils. His ears popped open and his legs and arms became like putty. And he said, all of a sudden, they started forming right in front of our very eyes. And in just a few minutes, this boy began to run and play and walked out of that place completely whole. I wasn't there. That's the testimony of R.W. Schombach. That's from Miracle Magazine, issue 1959. All I can say is this. When, the, when does the glory of God show up? When you've done everything that you can do and you can do no more. And that's it. That's it. If there's somebody here that you've done everything that you can do and your situation hasn't changed, I'm here to tell you in the authority of the Holy Ghost, uh, when the glory of God shows up in your circumstance, he'll do. It's, sometimes it's his turn. It's God's turn now. I'm opening these altars. If you want God to have a chance at your brokenness, at your misery. Hallelujah. Give God a chance at your marriage. You tried, you've tried, you've tried. You went to council, you went to meetings, you went to retreats, and here you are. Let God, let God have a chance at it. You tried to do something with your teenager. You talked. You got angry. You took their phone. You restricted them. Nothing works. Let God have a chance now. You went from doctor to doctor. Prognosis to prognosis. Sickness still there. Let God oh, show us. Show us your glory. Show us your glory. Show us your glory.